Okay, so the Bible is a, is a good news to good news story. It's a story that begins with good news in Genesis 1 and 2 and ends with good news in Revelation 21 and 22. God created the world and it was good. And God will remake the world and it will be very good forever and ever. But the stories that are told right after the good news story of Genesis 1 and 2 and the stories that are told right before Revelation 21 and 22, they tell us some very hard news about the judgment that comes on cities, that come on human communities that rebel against God. In Genesis 11, there is a story about a group of people who become proud and who decide that they don't need God. They decide to build a city in order to make a name for themselves in the world and to build a tower that would reach all the way up to heaven. Humanity's God-given purpose in Genesis 1 and 2 is to glorify God, to make a great name for God in the world, but instead they became proud and wanted to make a great name for themselves. Rather than acknowledging that they were creatures made in God's image, they wanted to push God aside and to make their own place in heaven, to put their, themselves in the place of God. But as the story goes on, we find that the people didn't get very far building this city in this tower. Genesis 11 says that God had to come down from heaven to see their little tower. And when he saw their pride and their purposes, he confused their language and he scattered them. And in the end of the story, it says this. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. The Hebrew word here, Babel, is used 262 other times in the rest of the Old Testament. And in every other place, do you know what it's translated as? Any guesses? Babylon. English translators call it the Tower of Babel because there's this play on words in the Hebrew with the Hebrew word uh, Balel, which means confusion. But in every other place in the Bible, the word Babel is translated as a place, as the empire, the kingdom of Babylon. Babel and Babylon are the same place. Genesis 11 is the origin story of Israel's great enemy, Babylon, the city of confusion, of disunity, and of rebellion against God. So Genesis 11... This story right after the good news tells us the origin story of Babylon. And I want to suggest to you today the origin story of every city in the world that rebels against God and his purposes for human life. And today we're going to look at Revelation 17 and 18, the stories right before the good news at the end of the Bible. And in those chapters, we see a vision that John has of the final destiny of of Babylon. Genesis 11 is the origin story of Babylon. Revelation 17 and 18 is the story that tells us the final destiny of Babylon and of any and every city that makes itself God's rival. 
In Revelation 17 and 18, we read about the fate, the final destiny of any and every city that makes itself God's rival. Turn in your Bibles to, Gen- to Revelation chapter 17. And uh, please open your Bibles today. We're going to be reading in a lot of different places today. Revelation chapter 17, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, and I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a desert, and there I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittered with gold, precious stones, and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her idolatries. And this title was written on her forehead. Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and the abominations of the earth. And I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. It's a very strange image. This this harlot, this prostitute riding on a beast, wearing beautiful clothes and jewelry and drinking this chalice filled with all sorts of sin and evil and wickedness and she is drunk on the blood of the saints and the martyrs. And John tells us who this woman represents. She is Babylon. Now, when John was writing the book of Revelation, the empire of Babylon was long gone. Hundreds of years before the the empire of Babylon was conquered by the Persians, and the Persians were conquered by the uh, the Greeks and the Romans. And these first readers of the book of Revelation, when they heard these words read, they would have recognized that they were listening to a description of the Roman empire where they were living. As we saw in the letters of the seven churches, the Roman Empire was hostile to Christians. In spite of its outward beauty, Rome was filled with corruption and hostility towards Jesus and his followers. And so what I want to suggest to you today is that Babylon, for the earliest readers of Revelation, was a a symbol or a cipher for Rome, And I suggest to you today that just as Babylon was a cipher or a symbol for Rome for the earliest Christians, in the book of Revelation, we should understand Babylon as representing any and every city in history that has built itself in opposition to God. Revelation 17 is a vision of any and every earthly city that says yes to the dragon. In the vision of Revelation 17, the harlot, Babylon, she's riding on the beast. John's vision is telling us that her source of power comes from the beast and not from God. Now, the very end of the book, Revelation 21 and 22, the last two pages of the Bible, it gives us a vision of a very different city. It shows us a vision of the new Jerusalem, the heavenly city that comes down out of heaven from God. And so what I want to suggest to you today is that the last six chapters of the book of Revelation is a tale of two different cities. It's a story about two different visions 
of human community. One of them, like Babylon, like Babel, is built and motivated by human pride. Built in order to make a great name for humanity. Built by the hands of men. The other, the new Jerusalem, is made and built by God. And built for the purpose of bringing glory to him. In the book of Revelation, we're going to see in just a moment, very intentionally and carefully sets these two cities parallel to one another and compares them to one another. The last six chapters of the book of Revelation deliberately holds these two different cities up to one another and compares them and also tells them what their final destiny is and tells us that we have a choice to make. Which of these two cities are we committed to? Which city are we invested in? I want to walk through these parallels that, uh, that John gives to us in his visions. Listen to the echoes and the parallels of the description of these two different cities. Revelation 17 says this. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits by many waters. Revelation 21. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the last seven plagues came and said to me, Come, and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. It goes on. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And there I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. Revelation 21. And then the angel carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Are you hearing the echoes here? The way that these two cities are being put in parallel to one another. Revelation 17, the woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittered with gold, precious stones and pearls. She had a, had a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. Revelation 21, the new Jerusalem shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Revelation 17, the name written on her forehead was a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. Revelation 21, there were also names written on the new Jerusalem. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Revelation 17 and 21 sets these two different cities in parallel with one another. And we see these two different metaphors, the images of a woman who is also a city, a harlot who is also Babylon, a city, the new Jerusalem, who is also a bride. And they are deliberately set side by side with one another, carefully placed next to one another to tell us that we have a choice to make. It's the most important choice that we can ever make. It's the choice between hope and despair, the choice between glorifying God or glorifying ourselves, the choice between God's way or my way. It's the choice between eternal life and death. This is the choice. Which city do you belong to, Babylon or the New Jerusalem? What we're going to do today is to compare these two cities, Babylon and the New Jerusalem. And we're also going to look at how Revelation 17 and 21 tell us about their eternal destiny, what's going to happen to these two cities forever. 
and finally to remind us of this choice that we have to make. So in addition to those parallels that I just showed you um, between the language describing Babylon in Revelation 17 and the language describing the New Jerusalem in Revelation 21, there's also some other ways in which these two different cities are compared in Revelation 17 and 21 and 22. The New Jerusalem is said that the nations will walk by the light of the New Jerusalem. But in Babylon, it deceives the nations. In the New Jerusalem, they will be, it will be cleansed of everything unclean. But Babylon is filled with impurity and deception. The New Jerusalem, the kings of the earth gladly come and bring their riches. But in Babylon, the harlot rules over and oppresses the kings. In the New Jerusalem, there are waters and trees of life that heal the nations. But in Babylon, Babylon has wine that makes the nations drunk. Here's how how St. Augustine, how he describes the two different cities um, in Revelation 17 and 21. He says that the first is holy and the second is foul. The first is social, but the second is selfish. The first is submissive to God, but the second tries to rival God. The first is quiet, the second restless. The first is peaceful, the second troublemaking. The first prefers truth to the praises of those who are in error. The second is greedy for praise. The first is friendly, the second envious. The first desires for its neighbor what it wishes for itself. The second desires to subjugate its neighbor. The first rules its neighbor for the good of its neighbor, the second for its own advantage. The first city is that of the just, the second is that of the wicked. Although they are now, during the course of time, during the course of history, intermingled, they shall one day be divided on the last judgment. Babylon is faithless to the Creator, the New Jerusalem is faithful to the Creator. Babylon rejects God's gifts of mercy and forgiveness and rescue. The New Jerusalem receives those gifts with gladness. Babylon is filled with immorality and evil. The New Jerusalem is filled with holiness and beauty. Which city do you want to be a part of? Which city are you investing your life in? It's easy for us to say the New Jerusalem, of course, but every single day we know how tempting it is to invest in Babylon. As Revelation 17 says, the harlot looks beautiful. She's dressed in beautiful clothes. She's become very wealthy and rich. She has a lot to offer. In fact, she has almost everything we could ever want, but nothing that we actually need and what we long for in the deepest parts of our soul. A harlot can make you feel good for a few minutes, but offers nothing to us in the end. All of us, in one way or another, are spiritually prisoners to what Babylon can offer to us. We're offered happiness and satisfaction and contentment and wealth and safety, and we tend to put our hope in them. And Revelation 17 and 18, in this very dramatic way, is telling us the very same thing that Jesus said to us. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But rather store up for yourselves treasures in heaven 
in the new Jerusalem, where moth and rust cannot destroy and where thieves cannot break in and steal. The things that Babylon offers to us, the things that our world offers to us are fleeting and temporary. If we put our trust in them, we are going to be disappointed. What we really need, what we want in the deepest part of ourselves, what we want eternally is intimacy, mutual self-giving love, true affection, appreciation, genuine care. In the end, what we really want is love. And 1 John says that God is love and that all love comes from God. And that's what is described to us in Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4, when it talks about the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And it says that, In that day when the heavenly Jerusalem comes down fully on earth, now the dwelling of God is with men. He will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will be so near to us that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and there will be no more death, no more crying, no more pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Which city do you want to give yourself to? Is it the one that gives you temporary, fleeting pleasure, or the one that can give you eternal joy that comes from God, who is love? Revelation 17 and 22 also tells us about the eternal destinies of the two cities. Turn back to Revelation chapter 17, verses 15 through 18. Then the angel said to me, The waters you saw where the prostitute sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. The beasts and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. So she's riding on the beast, but it says that the beast is going to hate her. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire, for God has put it in their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to give the beast their power to rule until God's words are fulfilled. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. In the end, the beast destroys the harlot. Evil destroys itself. Martin Luther King Jr. has the famous quote, Darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. And hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. The beast destroys the harlot. The harlot gives herself to the beast. She uses the beast to get what she wants. But in the end, the beast destroys the harlot because evil always turns in against itself. So in Revelation 18, we have this incredible chapter that recounts the fall of Babylon, the fall of the harlot. It tells the story of the fall of the earthly city. I want to read a few different um, verses here from Revelation chapter 18 to listen to this, um, this account of the fall of Babylon. Revelation 18, verses 1 through 3. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. With a mighty voice, he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. 
She has become a home for demons and a haunt for every evil spirit, a haunt for every unclean and detestable bird, for all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Verse 9. When the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury see the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn over her. Terrified at her torment, they will stand off and cry, Woe, woe, O great city, O Babylon, city of power, in one hour your doom has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold and silver and precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet cloth, every sort of citron wood and articles of every kind made of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cargoes of cinnamon and spice, of incense, myrrh and frankincense, of wine and olive oil, of fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages, and the bodies and souls of men. They will say, the fruit you longed for is gone from you. All your riches and splendor have vanished, never to be recovered. The merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth from her will stand far off, terrified at her torment. They will weep and mourn and cry out, Woe, woe, O great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. In one hour such great wealth has been brought to ruin. Every sea captain and all who travel by ship, the sailors and all who earn their living from the sea will stand far off. When they see the smoke of her burning, they will exclaim, was there ever a city like this great city? They will throw dust on their heads and with weeping and mourning cry out, woe, woe, O great city, where all you had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. In one hour, she has been brought to ruin. In one hour, in one hour, in one hour. It's repeated over and over again in Revelation 18. This is how temporary the beauty and wealth and strength of earthly cities are. The city of Babylon fell. The great city of Athens fell. The city of Rome fell. America or Washington, D.C. or New York or London or Hollywood or whatever place you perceive in your mind to be the symbol of our dominant culture today, someday it will fall. Our global economic market in which so many of us invest so much and place our trust, someday it will fall. And the more committed that we are to it, like the merchants that are described in Revelation 18, like the sailors that are described in Revelation 18, the more committed we are to it, the more we will say, whoa, whoa, when it falls. The warning of Revelation 18 is to stop trusting in the safety and beauty and happiness and strength of our own Babylon, because it is going to fall. And if you have committed yourself to that place, then you will fall with it and you will share in its grief. In stark contrast to the fall of Babylon that falls merely in one hour, Revelation 21 and 22 describes the new Jerusalem. I'm going to read Revelation 21 verses 22 through 27. 
We're going to talk more about Revelation 21 and 22 in the coming weeks, but I just want to read this short passage that describes in great contrast to the temporariness of Babylon. Uh, Let's listen to um, how eternal and good the new Jerusalem is. Revelation 21, verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter into it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. The New Jerusalem is a place where God lives together with his people. It's a place where people come and offer their gifts to the glory of God. Nothing impure will ever come in. No dishonesty, no cheating, no greed, no hatred, no pride. Friends, human beings can't create a place like this. And we try. We try. Human project after human project. One political ideology after another. One tower of Babel after another, after another, after another. We try. But in the end, the new Jerusalem has to come down out of heaven as a gift to us. It does not come about by our works. The book of Hebrews tells us that those who live by faith are people who are longing for a city whose builder and architect is God. And so in the last six chapters of Revelation, we are told that we're being offered a choice. Do you want to be a harlot or do you want to be a bride? Do you want to use and be used or do you want to be in a relationship of mutual affection and care and love? Do you want to be a citizen of a city that is fleeting and temporary? Or do you want to be a citizen of a city that offers you eternal joy? That's the choice that Revelation 17 through 22 offer to each one of us. And so the call in Revelation 18, 4 and 5 is God's people come out of her. Revelation 18, in the middle of this Description of the fall of Babylon, Revelation 18, 4 and 5 says this, I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues, for her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Now just notice this. The people of Babel wanted to build up a tower to heaven, and the only thing that reached heaven was their sins. Friends, Babylon is already here. And it always has been since Adam and Eve, since Cain killed Abel, and since some proud men tried to build a city and a tower to reach to heaven. Babylon is here and we're living in it right now. Back to the the quote from Augustine. This is how he finished that, that quote. He says, the first city is that of the just, the second is that of the wicked. Although they, the New Jerusalem and Babylon, are now, during the course of history, intermingled, they shall be divided at the last judgment. What's he saying here? 
Every earthly city, every earthly country has both Babylon and New Jerusalem intermingled in it. And so we are daily called to come out from Babylon and commit ourselves more fully to our citizenship in the New Jerusalem. The first readers of Revelation were tempted to simply submit to Rome. The Roman Empire had incredible wealth, incredible beauty, incredible power, and it seemed irresistible. And so it seemed to the first readers of Revelation that that Rome had a lot to offer them. Comfort and safety and security and privilege and fun. Rome was full of glitter and glamour, and it was attempting to be a part of it. In fact, it was just simpler to go along with Rome. And we're tempted by the same things today. Our earthly city, America, Fort Wayne, Indiana, has a lot to offer. Safety and comfort and wealth and entertainment. We live in a country more than any country that has ever been that could give us everything that we could possibly want and nothing that we need. It's tempting to give ourselves to it. But the book of Revelation was written to Christians to remind us who we are. We are not first citizens, not first citizens of Rome or America, but first citizens in heaven. Citizens of a heavenly city whose builder and architect is God. Hebrews calls us strangers and sojourners. The church is an embassy of the kingdom in the middle of Babylon. We are ambassadors for Christ on foreign soil. And the church cannot forfeit this calling in favor of being cheerleaders for political ideologies on the left or the right. We cannot give up our calling to be ambassadors for Christ on foreign soil. Come out of her. That is the calling for each one of us. To recognize that our, in our own lives, in, in our own ways, as we live here in Fort Wayne, to recognize where we are tempted to place our trust, to place our rest and comfort in our own Babylons. And it takes faith to see that the comfort and wealth that this world offers to us, that it's just a facade. It's just a counterfeit. And in one hour, it's going to be gone. It takes faith to see that. And God's people of faith have been, for thousands of years, have been called to live by faith, to see Babylon and Rome and Egypt and wherever Christians have lived as a place that is fleeting and passing away. Abraham, leave your father and mother and go to the place I will show you. Noah, take all of your worldly wealth and invest it into the building of this huge boat. Moses, leave the comfort and quiet of your life as a shepherd and go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. Isaiah, go and speak to my people even though they will not listen. Peter, leave the security of your fishing nets and come and follow me. Matthew, leave the wealth of your tax collector's booth and come and follow me. Ryan. What are you being called to come out of in Babylon? Simps, what are you being called to come out of in Babylon? Corbin, what are you being called to come out of in Babylon? What is your calling to, what is your temptation to live and invest in the things of this world? And what is God calling you to come out of? Is it the temporary pleasures of this world or is it the eternal beauty and goodness of God in our citizenship in the heavenly city? 
What do you give your allegiance to, your time, your energy, your motivation? This world has a lot to offer to us, and it's tempting simply to become a part of it and to give half-hearted loyalty to Jesus. But that's not the attitude of God's ambassadors who are here in this world to make his name known and to live for the city that is built by God. Let's pray. Lord, we, we know each one of us have our temptation to grasp on and to hold on to certain things in this world that give us comfort and safety and security, that give us a sense of peace. Lord, we thank you for the men and women of Hebrews chapter 11 who were examples to us of faith, people who heard your call and who lived for the heavenly city that they could not yet see, but they lived and, and moved toward by faith. Lord, we ask that you would make us that kind of people. In Jesus' name, amen.